Hey, this is Scott from Dallas. I just wanted to call and say, oh, my gosh, I'm already having withdrawals. I woke up this morning thinking, hey, great day to watch some zombies. And then realized that, yeah, The Walking Dead is on hiatus until February 10th. So I'm just glad to know that I'm not the only one feeling the withdrawals. Thanks. Y'all have a great day. Bye. is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 99. 99. For Monday, December the 10th, 2012. It's the Wayne Gretzky episode. I was thinking Agent 99. Shows you where my head's at. Yeah, I go to hockey, you go to... Get smart. Get smart, that's right. (laughs) Oh, yeah, get smart. Boy, it's been a long time since I've seen that. It has. (laughs) All right. Well, it's uh, number 99. We are here to, you know, wrap things up, do some news, do some... A whole bunch of listener feedback, all that kind of good stuff. And not only that, but we are doing a trial run of a live broadcast for next week. Now, nobody knows that, and if you don't tune in now, <laughs> it's going to be too late when you hear this. Well, and this is... Who are you telling? I'm, 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 who are you telling? I'm just letting the people know that we're practicing before we go, you know, all pro next week. So you're saying you should tune in now? N- no, no I'm, I'm saying tune in next week. Next week. Which uh, is when the live broadcast, number 100, is going to take place. Right. Um, and and to just start us off, I'm going to play this right now. Uh, Mark from California called in with a minor correction. Hi, it's Mark in California. Guys, I just wanted to let you know, I just listened to your podcast. Uh, it's a great show. I've been a loyal listener for over a year now. But I uh, just wanted to let you know your live broadcast, I think you advertise that you're going to have it on Monday uh, December the 16th. Uh, the 16th is actually a Sunday. It seems like it would be uh, Monday, December the 17th. Uh, I'm sure you probably got other calls on this. In case you didn't, uh, uh, glad I could give you the heads up. Anyway, take care, guys. Great show. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. What's the matter with you? I, I'm an you idiot. You can't get the date right. No, I cannot get the date right. And I'm I can't idiot. even pay attention long enough to determine that uh, you were, in fact, wrong. I was wrong. And uh, Mark, thank you for sending that in. You are indeed the only person who called or wrote in to let me know that I'm a boob, and deservedly so. So the live show is next Monday, December 17th. 17th. Not 16th, as I advertised last week. Nope. And I will be posting some reminders on Facebook as the week goes on. Because if it's a live show and there's nobody there, well, then it'll just be a regular podcast. But it would be fun to have some people there. Sure would. Right? Oh, I would have fun. <clears throat> Definitely. It would be fun for me. <laughs> That's really all that matters. It does. But you don't need to call in. We're going to try to have some call I might. In. Well, no, you're sitting right here. Oh. <laughs> when we start doing a second show a week, then you can call in. Sure. 
So let's just quickly say, uh, wish you and say a happy Nobel, a happy Nobel Prize Day. Oh, that's today. Did I win a Nobel Prize? No. Oh, it's no, not. You did it's not. not for me. It is not for you. But today is the anniversary of Alfred Nobel's death. Oh, and it's also the day that they have chosen to award the actual Nobel Prizes each year. Oh, so there's like a ceremony going on right now. It was earlier today. Okay. Uh, if if we had, you know, if you'd known about it, you would have even been able to watch a live webcast from Oslo. Wow. It's now the middle of the night in Oslo. And, uh, you know, so 12 hours ago or maybe less, it was, uh, it was Nobel Prize broadcast day. Wow. And for anyone that doesn't know, the prizes, here's the official description. The prizes are for a scientific exploration of great value for mankind in the areas of physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, economics, and peace. Huh. So if you're doing good things in any of those industries, you could be up for a Nobel Prize someday. www.nobelprize.org. That's right. I'm looking at the site right now. I can see the uh, the winners from uh, 2012. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Who won for uh, medicine? Okay. So chemistry, nice. physiology, or medicine, uh, Sir John B. Gordon. Oh, good. And uh, Shinya Yamanaka. Uh, Yamanaka. <laughs> I don't know it would be that complicated. It, well, <laughs> yeah, it's a Nobel Prize. It's worldwide. There's going to be names that I can't pronounce. I can tell you that right that's, now. That's for sure. Barely ever, barely ever, hardly ever does anyone, John Smith, win a, uh, a Nobel Prize. Yeah. Uh, you never know, though. You uh, never they know. won for the discovery that mature cells can be reprogrammed to become... Oh, I started this sentence with so much hope. Plur, pluripotent. Pluri, pl, pluripotent. Pluripotent? I don't know. That pluripotent? sounds better than pluripotent. Well, it sounds plural and very potent. It potently does. plural. It sure does. So that's actually really nice that uh, mature cells can be reprogrammed to be that. Maybe that up. means that you can take mature cells and reprogram them to be some other kind of cell and, say, replace cancerous cells, for example. Yeah. That sounds like a good thing. I'm looking the word up. All right. Well, you do that. Um, but thank you. Uh, congratulations to all the Nobel Prize winners today. Yeah, absolutely. Today. And uh, you've done mankind a great service. Yeah, I don't understand the definition, so uh, we're moving on. So let's move on. First thing we're going to do is something we haven't done in a little while. Oh, cool. The Walking Dead News. Now, that was kind of a lie that we haven't done this in a little Absolute while. Absolutely. I was going to call you on it. We haven't done some any, I mean, we've done ratings news. We haven't done some actual news news items in a while. But there is some Walking Dead news, and it's actually mostly video game related this week. Oh, cool. So let's get right into that. The first item is that Telltale's Walking Dead game, which we've played most of and will be finishing soon, it win it won three awards at the Spike TV 10th Annual Video Game Awards. Cool. Would you like to know what they are? I would. So the first one, best downloadable game. Nice. Good award. That's good. Best adapted game. Oh, from a, a pre-existing property. From a pre-existing property. And the game of the year. Oh. Best game of the year. Game of the year. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. It won the game of the year. Now, Telltale as a studio also won studio of the year. So there were sort of four awards in there. Nice. Uh, but The Walking Dead won those three prestigious Spike no TV video game awards. That's fantastic. Um, along with that, we should let people know that the retail box version of the game comes out tomorrow, December 11th. Mm. By the time you're hearing this, it may be, in fact, in stores. Cool. So if you haven't played it or you want to go you know, pick up all five at once instead of downloading them, you can get a disc, a physical disc, in your local 
GameStop or whatever you have near you. I thought you were going to say in your local grubby little hands. No, no. <laughs> you can you can go to GameStop and then get a copy in your grubby little hands. Yeah, if you absolutely. Want. And uh, bring it home and, and pop it in and give it a try. And it's the game of the year, people. It's, yeah. it's pretty good. And, you know, I'll just say right now, we are going to do uh, a podcast where we review the last couple of chapters of it. We're trying to find time to get around to that, and I promise we will. But I'll just say right now that chapter four and five, well, I've only, I haven't played five yet, but four was great. The game is just getting better and better. So I expect five to be fantastic. Cool. And I'm really excited to play it, which I'll probably do over the holidays if I can. Well, yeah. All right. In other Walking Dead video game news, the Activision game that's upcoming. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Starring the Redis brothers. uh, It now has a title. That title is The Walking Dead colon Survival Instinct. Nice. And uh, the other news is that Norman Reedus and Michael Rooker will, in fact, be voicing the characters in the game. That's that's good. <clears throat> so it's, it, it would be a loss without that. It would. It wouldn't be as cool. It's definitely going to be more authentic if uh, we have their voices on there, right out of the show. Yep. The game is being released in 2013. That's the most uh, accurate date we have so far. That's a very narrow window in geologic time. In geological terms, in, yes. In geological terms, it's, prob- it's already happened. Well, exactly. Yeah. So we could all be playing it now if we were rocks. But yes. we're not, so we have to wait for the passage of time until 2013, sometime in if 2013. If we were rocks, we wouldn't care about that wait. That wait would uh, be nothing. Probably. Wouldn't care about much, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it comes out for PS3, Xbox 360, and PC. Uh, it didn't seem to be uh, that there was a Mac version of it, in case you're a Mac user or a Mac gamer. That's too bad. It's too bad, but there are other options there for you. Mm-hmm. So that's Walking Dead Survival Instinct sometime in 2013. Last item in the news, as we blow through these, is that free uh, comic book day is coming up uh, in, in May of next year. Mm-hmm. They do this every year. Free comics are given away at comic book stores around, I guess, North America, maybe the world. I, I would imagine they do it everywhere. I, I couldn't tell you. And it's a fun day because it's all about comics. It's all about comic stores. You can go. You can meet other people, get some free comics, and just hang out and have a good time. Now, this is uh, on comicbook.com, but it was announced by Image that The Walking Dead will have a special for Free Comic Book Day, oh. written by Robert Kirkman, with Ooh. art by Charlie Adler. And the cover is to the special is by Cliff Rathburn. Nice. And it will contain a brand new Tyrese short story. Oh. It, and it will reprint short stories featuring Michonne, The Governor, and Morgan. Well, that'd be fun. So the Michonne story is likely the Michonne origin that was in Playboy earlier this year. Ah. I don't know about... Oh, and the Governor one, there is um, a little Governor sort of origin comic out there that was released that I haven't seen yet, so that'll be fun. And I'm not sure what the Morgan one is. I don't know. I can't think of any Morgan one-offs that were that were out there anymore. Uh, I don't can't think of any either. But we'll get them all in one... You know, one comic here, and it's free, and apparently these are, this is the only place where these, well, this, the Tyrese story will be printed. So if you want to get it, make your way to your local comic book store next May 4th, 2013. May the 4th be with you. That's the day. Star Wars Day next uh, next year. Yep. So uh, I plan to do that, and I usually go to Free Comic Book Day and just see what's there. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's I have fun. yet to go to Free Comic Book Day. Well, you don't have a comic store as as convenient to you anymore. I had one really close, but then they moved farther away. Yeah. So now it, it's not convenient. It doesn't work. You could always come over here and go with me. It was right next to the M&M Meats. 
Oh, so you could get meat and comics all and, at once. And rent a car. The Enterprise rental car <laughs> rental is right there, too. Everything you need, man. Actually, I've been to the car rental place more than I've been to the M&M Meats. Oh, well, that's that, it really is everything you need. <laughs> it is. It, cars, would, it was a very convenient spot, but they moved. Cars, meat, and comics. <laughs> so that's May 4th, 2013, Free Comic Book Day, Walking Dead special being published by Image with some exclusive stuff in it. Um, there you go. That's the Walking Dead news for this week. How about that? That's cool. That's amazing. Short and sweet. All right. Uh, the rest of the show is going to consist of listener feedback and holy crap, did you see that? Now, the listener feedback we're going to do is broken up into some parts. Um, and before I tell you about that, I should play this. Listener feedback. So the first part is stuff that relates to the mid-season finale, which was last week. Mm -hmm. And we've got a number of emails and calls and such that we're going to go through. We also, after that, have some um, more specific things about something we talked about last week on the show, and that's Michonne's motivation for wanting to kill the governor. Okay, good. And then after that, we have some more general, you know, any episode, just people correcting us or answering our questions or whatnot. Yeah, mostly people correcting us, I bet. Uh, yeah, well, you know, we say a lot of stupid things. We do. <laughs> but it wouldn't be the internet if, uh, if we yeah. didn't do that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Welcome to the internet. Welcome to the internet. So the first email we have here is from Vincent in Vancouver, and he says, Am I the only one who thinks the Merle and Daryl showdown is just another one of the governor's schemes? Don't you think Merle might be in on this? He's already affirmed his loyalty to the governor. Using Merle as the scapegoat will not only reassure the town that the person responsible for the events that transpired is gone and taken care of, but this also serves as an opportunity for Merle to gain Daryl's trust, and Merle can then act as a spy in the prison camp for the governor. Oh, clever. What do you think? I, I, I mean, this never occurred to me. No. I was, I've always sort of thought that the governor was on the straight and narrow in that he decided that Merle was now his enemy and he's going to do whatever he wants. I believed him when he said that, uh, that Merle was the enemy. So I'm not sure that this is a scheme. It would be quite the, uh, quite the turn of events if it was, uh, if it was a scheme to put uh, Merle into the camp so that they could have a mole. It would. And you know, the more I think about this, as we've said before, Merle is not really the brains of this operation. He is the muscle. He is the muscle. I don't know if he's the right guy to go and be your mole or your spy. I don't know. Merle is awfully close to mole. <laughs> Merly, Merly, Merly. Merly, Merly, Molly, Merly. <laughs> right. But uh, name aside, I don't know that he's the right guy for this assignment. Like, he, he's there to kick ass and take names. And uh, he's not there to be all sneaky and, you know, come up with stories and excuses on the fly like a spy might have to do. I don't know. You know? I think, it's, so I sure. think it's possible. I don't think it's likely, but it is possible. I think it's possible, too, as a plot development. I just don't know if he's the right character for it. Right. It would be a little weird. It would be a little weird. <clears throat> um, so Graham from the internet wrote in, and he sent he sent a link to an interview with Robert Kirkman uh, asking about why Michonne didn't say anything to Andrea when she had the chance. Something else we, we brought up on the last yeah, podcast. Yeah, that was weird. And uh, this, comes from, this comes from Kirkman's answer to the question uh, in the interview. And he said, Michonne is a very cautious character. She's not quick to act. She watches her surroundings and makes very informed decisions based on that. This was a moment of heartbreak for her. She was there to get revenge on the governor, but also to save Andrea to a certain extent. 
By allowing Andrea to see her in that moment out of context, she knew that there was nothing she could say that wouldn't seem like she was trying to hide something or justify her actions in some way. She clearly looks like a villain there. As far as Andrea knows, she just came in and totally attacked the guy. That was the moment she realized that she'd lost Andrea forever. So I guess what Kirkman is saying here is that uh, Michonne didn't say anything because there was nothing, she felt there was nothing she could say that would kind of explain her actions to Andrea in terms of what she saw. And I guess that makes sense. But I think in real life, you probably just start blabbering, him, he's the bad one, not me. I don't know. You know, living in a zombie apocalypse really screws with your sense of real life and your sense of propriety in any given situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I wouldn't put it past anyone to just, you know, mentally check out and then say, screw it. I can't win this, so I'm not saying a damn thing. Yeah, it almost seems like more. it would take more reason to, to think that through in the moment than it would be to just start trying, you know, throwing excuses and saying, you know, he's the one who's who's doing all this. I just came here to, to get revenge or whatever and save you, you know? Right. I came for you. I came back for you kind of thing. And he sent people to kill me. But, uh, you know, I, I guess Michonne is more sort of reserved or more uh, thoughtful than that. She's like, there's nothing I can do here that's going to make this any better. Yep. It's only going to make it worse. When in doubt, keep your mouth shut. Yeah, I guess so. And I guess it explains, and, you know, it explains why she didn't say anything. And, you know, with this explanation out there, it kind of bothers me less that she didn't, you know? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit, for sure. Uh, All right. We've got a call now from Ed in New York. Uh, He had this to say. Hey, guys. It's Ed from New York State, uh, actually south of Quebec. So usually the Canadians I'm using used to deal with, uh, they don't really speak English. So it's always nice to have that crisp, clear Ontario dialect coming through. I had a couple comments on the mid-season finale, uh, as they, they're calling it. Um, some real holes in the story. I wanted to get your opinion on it. The governor tells uh, the armed people of Whitbury, uh, take no prisoners shoot to kill, um, something to that effect. And then, mysteriously, they, they capture Daryl, uh, even though we assume he ran out of ammunition and maybe was cornered. Um, at what point is Merle not aware that Daryl's being captured? He was leading the fight, um, actively engaging and in, in firing on Rick's group. And then all of a sudden, uh, because of the smoke, Boom, Daryl's captured. Merle doesn't know anything about it until the unveil of the the hood covering there. And it just, it seemed like kind of shoddy writing. I want to get your guys' opinion on it. Love the podcast. Keep it up. Uh, I'll keep listening. Thanks. So, Jason, what do you think? Was it convenient that that, uh, Daryl was just suddenly captured like that? Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with him. It does seem like a like a big hole that uh, Merle was engaged in the firefight, and all of a sudden Merle's unaware of what's going on, and uh, they happen to capture uh, Daryl, and uh, that leads into the uh, maybe Merle's in on it kind of thing. That's true. But if Merle's in on it, Daryl would know, wouldn't he? Because he was if Merle was uh, part of the group that captured him. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, he Merle's the head of security essentially, and he's leading the the battle. Yeah, or he, you'd think he would be, but he so he would know that someone was captured, and you know he knows who his brother is, so that would be that. Um, it does seem a little bit unlikely that Daryl would be captured like that without Merle's knowledge, but even if he was, um, yeah, it's it's I don't know. It seems seems a little bit. A little bit off. I mean, it's yeah. one of those scenes now where when you think back, you almost wish there was something extra cut in just to, even if it was just somebody, you know, coming up behind Daryl while he was reloading and putting a gun to his head. Yep. You know, just to see that moment. Um, maybe that would have taken away from the reveal at the end. I think that that was the thinking in the in the writer's room. Right. Which probably <laughs> we can't say anything can't say or do anything that would take away from that reveal but see that's uh you know that's ed's point i think that it maybe was a little bit lazy what they did is they came up with the end result first and tried to write a story that led to that instead of have you know instead of writing a story that led to a logical ending you know what i mean yep come up with the ending first and then fill in the blanks in between that's not the best way to do things now that's how um, i that's how i would write a tv episode but i'm not a how writer. people write tv episodes <laughs> i don't think that's how you they come write up with anything. the you know the overall story arc and then you fill in all the pieces maybe but in this case it's such a specific goal at the end of this episode or the end of this piece of art that we have a scene like this that's going to be surprising to the viewer it's going to leave them wanting more the whole, like, when you have a finale-type episode, the whole, the end is almost the whole point of it, right? Because you want to draw people back for whenever the show does come back. Right. And I think it would be so tempting as a writer to come up with this end bit and then sort of write everything else leading to that, which may not serve the story as well. Right. Now, I don't mean to, you know, rag on writers. I am not a writer. I have no idea what their, <laughs> their process is. There's no way I could do it. Like, it's not my thing. Well, I'm a programmer. I would write the same way, I think. Come up with the structure, fill in all the pieces, uh, you know, tweak and change as things are needed. And it would end up being a garbled mess. It would, but it's also a little bit different because you can always, you know, you always, as writing a program, you know what the outcome needs to be, right? Well, yeah, that, that's in an ideal world, yeah. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> um and also, you have more opportunity to go back and um, adjust your approach right. to meet that goal. Once a TV show is on the air, it's done. Well, so, yeah. I mean, you release programs too, right? Like, well, I, I, I know, rarely I have control over everything I've done in my career. That is true. Going back years, you know, you can't go and change something now. But yeah. uh, okay, that's true. I mean, I, I see that. But anyhow. Um, like similar to you know how they got into that building, Rick and the rescue team. Yeah, it was just sort of suddenly they were there, and in this case, it was like suddenly Daryl was captured and nobody knew. Yeah, and the one person who should know didn't. There was some big holes there. A little bit, I think. a little bit there. Uh, Shannon Doa from West Virginia wrote in. Um, sorry if I'm pronouncing that name wrong, but she's she's been listening to the show for a long time, so she's written in before, and I think I've gone through pronouncing her name. Uh, incorrectly in the past. So, you know, it's hard to remember these things. Good times. Now, um, she wrote in to let us know that according to AMC, Sasha is Tyrese's sister, not daughter. I said said daughter last week. I did. Okay. But it's his sister. Younger sister, I would imagine. 
Um, the reason I went for daughter is because I think he called her baby. And I, I don't know. It just feels weird to call your sister that, but maybe that's just I think me. it's weird to call anybody that. No, honestly. no. Daughter is totally different. Wife, that's fine. If yeah. it's your, if it's your, you know, your your daughter is your baby, so it's weirder when uh, somebody calls you daddy. Yeah, <laughs> unless it's your kid. <laughs> well, yes, okay, kids. Uh, granted, girlfriend, wife, not so good. Yeah, that's in weird. my opinion. But a lot, a lot of people do that. They call, you know, daddy or uh, oh, p- parents do that in the presence of their children. Well, I know that. That's not unusual. No, I'm talking in the weird, creepy kind. Yeah, the weird, creepy daddy. Well, it's Tyrese is his. Uh, no, Sasha is Tyrese's sister. Right. I'm so, glad we cleared that up. We've put that to bed. Now, she continued, and this is a bit comic spoilery, people. Um, if you don't want to hear a spoiler from the comic, she really just references something that happens in the comic in relation to one of the characters that showed up in Tyrese's group. Okay. So if you don't want to hear that, then uh, skip ahead a little bit. But she writes, I wonder if the storyline of Carl killing Ben will be used now, since we're missing Ben's twin brother, Billy, and that he's 10 plus years older than the comic version. I wouldn't wonder at all, I know the comic is no longer canon to the show, except they used those exact names and relationships with Donna dying first. If they leave it out, I'll be disappointed, but I don't see it working since Ben is so much older than Carl. Right. Do you recall this from the comic? Uh, Vaguely. You've it's read been a long time. Yeah, I mean, you're mostly caught up, and this happened a while back. So, oh yeah, this was back in the prison. Uh, no, I think it happened after they left the prison in the comic. Yeah, because it happened in a van. Yeah, it happened while they were traveling. After right. that, yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, it yeah, I it I didn't think of that when Ben was introduced, but that is a fairly pivotal moment in Carl's um character. You know, development. It is. And we might get that in the show we now. We might get that. That'd be interesting. That would be cool. I'd, I'd be sort of looking forward to seeing that. I, You know what? These days, Carl, I'm liking him so much on the show, I want to see more of him do all kinds of awesome stuff. Awful, horrendous <laughs> stuff. Awful, horrendous, and, you know, shocking stuff. Yeah. That's also awesome. Also awesome. All right. Uh, so, Heather from... Ithaca, Ithaca and Allison from Indianapolis also wrote in with similar points. Here's what Heather had to say. This has to do with Oscar. I just listened to the last podcast and you keep mentioning that they had to leave Oscar behind. I don't think they just left him. I might be wrong, but when I was watching the episode last night, I was almost certain I saw Maggie shoot Oscar in the head after he was wounded during the firefight. And this is uh, something, yeah, we were we weren't sure last week, but it is absolutely true. I went back Maggie puts a bullet in Oscar before she runs away. Oh, there you go. So he gets shot by Wolverine Shane. Yep. uh, And then Rick, you know, takes out Wolverine Shane. Maggie's screaming, Rick, Rick, come on. And Oscar's on the ground. She puts a bullet in him. Now, the camera is shot from her, like, I think her sort of knees up. So you don't see his body on the ground. But she shoots down into the ground right where he fell. Right. It's clear what she was doing. Yeah. She was putting him out of his misery, so he wasn't going to come back. Now, maybe she should have just left him, let him reanimate, and then terrorize the people of Woodbury for a while. <laughs> wow, that's still... <laughs> it wouldn't have worked, but, you know, <laughs> might have been hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. Could have been. So Oscar's not coming back. He is not coming back as a zombie or a living character, and it's thanks to Maggie. Dead is dead. Dead is dead. That is for sure. Um, all right. Jay from Chicago called in um, about uh, the rescue party 
and a few other things. Here's what Jay had to say. Hi, guys. This is Jay calling from Chicago. I just finished listening to The Talking Dead, number 98, and I'm calling to allay some of your concerns about the episode Long Hammer. Uh, I think the group's entry into Woodbury doesn't have to be magical. We just have to envision some walker-proof leaping and climbing. I agree that a little scene showing this would have been desirable, so we don't view Woodbury security as being incompetent, but I don't think it's too hard to imagine a path that the group could accomplish that walkers could not. And as for Michonne and her attempted assassination of the governor, we already know that Michonne has an unreasoning hatred of Woodbury. It's established that her dislike of the governor aside, she feels that Woodbury is an evil place. She's right, even though she's not justified. To most of us, the governor's actions when Andrew and Michonne were his guests would seem perfectly reasonable. We'll take care of you, we'll let you stay here, but you can't walk around with that sword while you're an unknown and potentially dangerous factor. It's no more unreasonable than Carl's treatment of Tyrese's group. But Michonne, given her heightened caution or paranoia, feels that Woodbury is a bad place and should be destroyed, or at least the power structure should be. How does Michonne kill? She knows that you have to destroy the head. Love the show. Thanks. Bye. Yep. Yeah. Uh, cut off the head and the rest will die, or whatever this phrase is. Okay, that helps. It does. I mean, she knows something is off about Woodbury, and she's just she's not going to just leave it, and she's not going to go and take out you know, just some random person. She needs to take off, take out the leader. She knows it'll fall into chaos then because Merle can't, can't lead a group of people. Right. And uh, that's probably enough. I still don't really think that there was quite enough there. I mean, yes, she's suspicious of them. Yes, she wants to get back at them, I guess, or him. But why not just let it go and move on? Because your friend is there. Yeah, that's the other thing. Kirkman, as we said earlier, uh, said that she went back for Andrea, too, yeah. and realized that she was beyond saving, mostly because of what Andrea saw there. Um, so, you know, that lends a little bit more credibility to it, for sure. Yep. Uh, but then why not just try and rescue Andrea instead of killing the governor? You know, Andrea was right out there on the street, but, you know, she went to the governor instead of Andrea directly. True. So that's that. Uh, now, what about the rescue party getting in? I think Jay makes a good point here that, you know, it's not too hard to believe that there is some way to jump over that wall or get through a door or a fence or something like that that would be easy for a thinking, reasoning, living human being to do that a zombie just could not do. Yes, but just, just prior to that, weren't they uh, basically huddled in behind something looking at the front gate wondering how in the hell are we going to get in here? They were doing that, and then and then Michonne led them somewhere to to get in easier, right? Yeah. So but, she you knew know, just walking up. Just if they just kind of show up, said, oh, "Okay, there's Woodbury," and then all of a sudden they were in, and be like, "Okay, well that was a cakewalk." But they actually showed them hunkered down, going, "Oh, there's guards everywhere. How are we ever going to get in here?" Right. So you why know? not show that and then show the resolution to that? Right. That's that's the problem. It was really. the setup without the without the uh, you payoff. Know, the payoff. Thank you. Um. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel, you know. Don't make it look so hard if it's actually so easy. Right. Um, you know, and it may be a small Unless thing. you're getting paid for it. <laughs> if you're getting paid for it, then that's uh, that's the kind of thing you want to do. Make it look easy, even though no, it's No, make it look hard. Even though it's easy. And then do it. All right. Under, under promise and over deliver. Yes. Although the, the greatest athletes, for example, they're, you know, what they do is hard, but they make it look easy. Absolutely. So that's the opposite. Yeah, but at least you get to see it happen. 
That's true. It'd be like, oh my goodness, you got all these <laughs> fantastic runners all lined up for the, uh, the the hundred meter dash, and then all of a sudden it's over, and it's like, oh, he won. Oh, great. That's great. They well, could have showed me the race, but <laughs> you know that's neither here nor there. All we wanted was the winning. You know, find out who won. Yeah, that makes no sense at all. <laughs> so that's kind of what they did on the show. They just they were like, oh, this is going to be so hard to get in. Oh, we're in. Yep. So, uh, all righty, Terry from the internet writes. How is it that the Woodbury town folk, who look like they belong in Mayberry during the day, suddenly look like Monty Python extras yelling, burn her, during the arena scene at the end? Yep. These are people who were locked safely away during most, if not all, of the fighting. Yep. I'll tell you why. It's because it looks better on screen, and also the governor is very good at riling people up. Right. That's, and when he puts out a signal that says it's Thunderdome time, everybody gets into Thunderdome mode instead of uh, leave it to beaver mode. Exactly. And he's been prepping them for this, too. They've been doing zombie fights or uh, zombie ring fights. Right. And he's been, you know, he's been uh, he's been feeding the people this for a while now. And so whenever they get into that ring, they know something's going to happen. Uh, you know, it's mob mentality a little bit. A little bit. I do like the Monty Python reference, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good old Monty Python. Uh, okay. Alan on Facebook wrote this to me. He said, after shooting, quote, Shane, Rick walks up and looks down at him. There's shrill music playing in the background. And right about then, we he realizes he's delusional, and it's not Shane after all. I swear I heard a short phone ring. My girlfriend and I rewatched it a few times, and uh, we can't tell if it's just a musical note or if the show slipped in a subtle phone ring to correlate with Rick's mental state. Oh, interesting. Uh, I went back and, and listened. I, I didn't hear any phone rings. Oh, that's too bad. Um, but it's an interesting idea. So let's, let's talk about Rick's mental state a little bit for a minute here. Um, I've always sort of said they, they were over and done with it already. Like the yeah. phone came and went and he... You know, he was healed, and that's sort of all we were going to see of that. And now he'd go on to other things in the show. Right. And I felt you're probably right, but they could bring it back. Yeah, they could bring it back. And I think they're going to be doing this. How would you feel if every, you know, couple times a season, maybe every five or six episodes, you know, Rick is under some sort of duress or trauma or whatever, and he has, like, he sees Shane or he sees Laurie or he sees some past character coming back. And it's just to remind us that he's not quite all there mentally that could uh that could be that could be very interesting like not just you know as blatant as he walks past a phone booth and the phone starts to ring and he picks it up and laurie's talking to him again right doesn't have to be as blatant as that it could be you know in a moment of weakness uh he sees shane walking towards him or maybe uh you know dale is walking beside him or something or complaining about something or other yeah uh you know that kind of thing yep that kind of thing is what I'm thinking. Similar to not not really a, I would say not really a conscience like we get or we had in uh, um, Battlestar. Right. That was was that a conscience when the number five, number six was talking to Baltar. Right. That not that kind of thing. Like she's no, there all the blatant, time. Yeah. You know, uh, or or in Dexter when his dad is talking to him. Right. Well, but in Dexter, it's cut and dry. Right? It's very clear that that's Dexter. That's his 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 conscience, his uh, his, his higher uh, being, 
you know, trying to convince him of things or to talk him into things. It's or, his brain working stuff out. Yeah. And it's just manifested in his father speaking to him. Whereas in Battlestar Galactica, it's not, we never know what that is. Is it yeah. a, a Cylon implant? Has he been uh, programmed somehow? Is he a Cylon? Uh, is she an angel? Uh, as it may have turned out. But, uh, you know, it's not as cut and dry. Here, It's uh, it would be cut and dry as in if you see somebody show up that is already dead, Rick's crazy. But I don't want it to happen as often as, say, Dexter. It really no. works in Dexter, I think. Oh, because he's a character. Yeah, he's a character, and he's got this inner turmoil to a certain extent that just manifests him as his dad, itself as his dad. Right. Um, Rick has that too, but I don't want to see Shane hanging out no, every no. episode, no, 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 which no. we're not going to see. No, because, no, because he's got other work to do. Yeah, Bernthal is not a part of this show anymore. No. Um, and that's why I think maybe this will be a one-off thing. That apparently that's what the deal was here. Shane, you know, flew in or was in town for something else, and they're like, "Come on, we're going to shoot a cameo with you. It's going to be great. This is what we're going to do." Yeah. And so maybe they'll do that every year once. And like you said, maybe we'll see Dale or or Lori or something. And maybe it'll happen in different ways too. Maybe Lori calls on the phone and Shane shows up in person. Right. And you know, Dale is Rick's reflection in a mirror when he gets to a mirror or it something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't mind that. I just don't want it to happen too often. There's enough yeah. other stuff going on, I think, that we don't really need to be reminded all the time that Rick is a nut job. Right. And and just to speak about uh, phones ringing or hearing phones ringing, there was, uh, in, in a past life, I'm, I was a drummer. And I played in various bands, and I had this one symbol. Technically, you're still a drummer. Well, that's true. Once a drummer, right. always a drummer. Yeah. But uh, I had this symbol that one of its overtones was exactly the same as an old-style phone ringing. Right. So I would hear phones ringing all the time when uh, when we were rehearsing or playing or what have you. And I learned that, no, it's one of the overtones of the symbol. I would just ignore it. So you can hear phones ringing all the time. Well, I I sometimes hear phones ringing. Like if there's loud music playing, I swear to God, my phone is ringing. You turn off the music, there's no phone ringing. Well, that's just anxiety, though. Is it? Yeah, it's. Uh, don't do you feel your phone vibrate in your pocket when you don't have it in your pocket? I have had that before. Yeah, see, it's it's a form of uh, like a Pavlov's dog. You're so responsive to that stimulus and to yeah. react to it that you just you kind of yeah, yeah, but. Uh, half the time when my phone vibrates in my pocket, I don't feel anything when it's in there. And then when I'm walking around without it, occasionally I'm like, oh, it's my phone. Oh, I don't even have it. Right. So I don't know what's wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> in that respect, anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, you can hear, definitely hear the overtones of phones ringing in music and in the background of things. So I have no doubt that uh, we've all heard that. All right. Well, as long as Rick isn't walking around, you know, with a phone on his face the whole time, or, uh, well, he's got that two-way radio that he was t- trying to talk to Morgan. Whatever happened to that? Yeah, I don't know. If that's that, we that hasn't showed up at all. Now it's been a busy time it's since been they a got year, to the ten prison. months or so. But uh, maybe they, he gave up on that. Yeah, I don't know. But they have power now, don't they? Uh, well, I guess they got some. They have generators in the prison. Yeah, charge up the radio. Let's get Morgan on the horn. Well, I mean, it would be probably non-rechargeable batteries, but. Anyhow, Why maybe would it, it not be non-rechargeable batteries. Well, do you think they have a battery charger to go with the charging the batteries for the radio? He was a cop. Of course, he has a charger. Oh, of course, he walks around with a there's, charger. There's also police cruisers all over the place. No doubt, they could probably pick one up. Uh, or maybe you can plug it into the AC. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's got the power cord. <laughs> 
Maybe he just gave up. Maybe he power I, cords are a plenty in this world. You can I, find one. I suppose. Yeah. Um. Uh. Anyways. Yeah. I. I. I don't know. I'd like to see Rick. You know, extending that craziness a little bit, but not enough to bother me. Just, just a little. A little. Bit. Just so we know that he's. You know, thinking. He might be a little conflicted inside once in a while because who wouldn't be God oh, in this yeah. kind of world? So, uh, All right, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about Michonne's motivation, even though we've already touched on that. We've got some general feedback and then uh, a bunch of holy crap, did you see that moments? So we'll be right back after this, everybody. Thanks for listening and please stay tuned. Listeners of The Talking Dead, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial, so you have the opportunity to try out the service. Jason, what book would you like to recommend this week? Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, one in a series of books that I've recommended uh, many times over the last y- uh, year, and a new book just came out by uh, Tom Clancy called Threat Vector. Threat Vector. Yeah, by Tom Clancy and Mark uh, Greeny. So that is a threat um, that is in a straight line that has direction and magnitude. And speed, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is in the Jack Ryan series, Jack Ryan Book 15. Jeez, that's a lot of books. Uh, read by uh, somebody I really like and I've listened to before, Lou Diamond Phillips, also known as Lou Diamond Upchurch. Lou Diamond Upchurch. We've talked about him before. We have. I like him. I like him reading these books. So I'm. Uh, this just came out on the 4th of December. It's now the 12th, uh, 10th, so... Uh, it's brand new. Very new. Brand new, brand new. That's great. If you want to get Threat Vector um, or any other of Audible's 100,000 title catalog in fiction, nonfiction, periodicals, biographies, anything you can imagine, mm-hmm. you can head over to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. That's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead for a free audiobook. I want Thank you. 
All right, and we're back. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit now about Michonne's motivation a little bit more. We've got a couple of emails here from people um, regarding, you know, why Michonne would go back, what she wanted to do, and, you know, what gave her enough reason to go back and want to try and kill the governor. Right. The first one comes from Glenn in Australia, and he says, she had been pursued after leaving Woodbury by Merle and the others who had the stated intent of hunting her down on the governor's orders. She would have heard these uh, were the orders when the pursuers, including Merle and Red Pants, What's in Your Pocket, were talking about them. Yay. Knowing that the governor had apparently ordered her killing would have sent Michonne back to Woodbury to take his life. So we sort of said that. You know, right. he sent people out to kill her, which I guess is enough for most people, or at least for Michonne. Right. Uh, if it were me, I might have been like, I'm never going near that place again yeah. because they've got a hit out on me. And as soon as I show my face, you know, I'm going to get shot in it. They have a wall. They have guns. They have people that want to kill me. Exactly. So what am I doing going near You're this back place? there. I'm over here. I'm going that way. But not everyone takes that attitude, I suppose. Nope. And Michonne decided to go back and do it. Uh, now, Susan from North Carolina writes, she has three reasons, but she comes to a similar conclusion. And she says, first of all, the governor sent four men to hunt her down and kill her. She doesn't necessarily know that Merle lied to the governor and told him she's dead. So for all she knows, he'll be sending more men to kill her until the job is done. Right. The second reason is that she thinks, and has pretty good evidence, that they killed those military guys when they were supposedly going to rescue them. The third reason is that she witnessed Merle kidnapping two people who were just minding their own business and getting baby formula. Even though Merle is the one actually doing these things, she thinks the governor is calling the shots and therefore must be stopped before more people, including herself, are kidnapped or killed. Right. So there's a little bit more there, even. Uh, you know, I don't know that watching Merle kidnap Glenn and Maggie would have been, you know, quite enough. Um, but maybe the fact that she overheard the conversation and she knows that um, they had a previous relationship— or they, they knew each other from the past. Yeah. Um, that could help. Um, and then the military guys is something I hadn't really thought of. She knows that he said, we're going to go find these people, we're going to rescue them, or at least she has a good idea. And then he comes back without them. Now, does Michonne credibly know that he went and killed them? I don't think so. I don't think anybody knows. I'm not Other so sure. Other than the people that were there. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Um, because his story coming back was just... Uh, they were already dead, so we took their supplies. Right. In honor of their death, their sacrifice, <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, you know, <laughs> a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. So I don't know if Michonne knows about that necessarily. She certainly knows now that the helicopter pilot's head was in the zombie fish tanks. Yes. If she recognized it in there. I don't think I would have. You know, maybe not. But let's assume she she did. Um, so she knows now, but that's after she came back. True. So really, it's just the fact that the governor sent people to kill her. The one interesting point that Susan from North Carolina makes is that she doesn't know that Merle um, lied about her being dead. So she thinks there's going to be more and more people constantly coming after her. Also true. And she wants to put an end to that. It could very well be that she just simply doesn't get pushed around, and she always pushes back. Yeah, that's true. I mean, she just... just could be a personal life choice. I don't get pushed around, and I push back. Think about it. She was a lawyer in the previous life. Lawyers don't get pushed around. Their, their whole job is 
pushing pe- other people around. Well, yeah. You know, I'm not maybe not their whole job, but that's what lawyers <laughs> or at least prosecution lawyers do. A lot of do. it is reading, you know. Well, reading and speaking. And writing. And writing. But, you know, they have to know how to um, push someone around, too. If yes. you're a, if you are... Argument. Yeah, they, they have, have an argument. An argument is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just stating a position and somebody else stating a counterposition and you uh, whittling away at their counterposition until they uh, get on board with what you're trying to say. Well, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, that kind of personality might be the sort of personality that makes someone want to go back and stick glass in somebody's eye. Yep. You know, that just could be it. It happens. So the more I think think about it, and the fact that she thought maybe, Michonne thought maybe that more people would be constantly coming after her, I'm a little bit more on board with her going back to try to take out the governor. You don't necessarily need the horrors that she experienced in the comic to make her want that kind of revenge. Right. All righty. Jen, this is some more general feedback now. Jen from Peterborough writes in um, about how Carl chose the name Judith. Oh, she says, if you remember in season two, when Carl finds out that Laurie is pregnant, he wants to call her Sophia. Then, just before Daryl decides to call her ass kicker, Carl lists off all the female group members that have died. Originally, I think Carl wanted to name her after someone that had already kicked the bucket as a sign of remembrance. But after listing off all the deceased women from the group, I think Carl decided to choose a name that was not connected to the group, one that wouldn't be a constant reminder of the hell that they'd been through and the people that they've lost. On some level, I think Carl chose Judith as a connection to a happier time. I don't know about you guys, but grade three was pretty carefree for me. Ah, uh, grade three. I have. Did it's I read smiley. this? I have a feeling I read this one on a previous podcast, but I don't know. I feel like I have, but it could be that I've been holding on to it and reading it a few times, planning for podcasts, right? And 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 I didn't. So, regardless, um, I think Jen makes a great point. Yeah, absolutely. That uh, it's just you know why name it after something that's going to be a constant reminder of death and destruction and the horrors they've seen? Why not go back to grade three and be like, hey, I loved my grade three teacher. Let's name a daughter after that yeah because then we talked about miss comfort miss johnson miss do so uh that's true that's true all right so uh how about that people miss smiley was my grade three teacher though miss smiley yeah (laughs) she wasn't all right well there you go repeating content 80 percent of this show is new content yes there you go it's all new talking so hopefully i haven't played this call before but it comes from chris in buffalo Hey guys, uh, this is Chris from Buffalo, New York, and I just wanted to chime in on the whole zombies retaining memory thing. Um, they, you know, they said that uh, zombies don't retain memories. They say, you know, if you pull out their teeth and you take away their ability to attack, they lose the will to attack. But what about Michonne's pets? In that episode, I think it was two or three of the season, uh, where her and Andrea are hiding from uh, Merle the first time they see his group. Her zombies, pretty much the whole time they're with her, stay quiet. They do as she says. They don't move. But as soon as they saw a threat coming towards Michonne and Andrea, they started going nuts. Nuts enough for Michonne to have to kill them. So what does that say? I mean, it could possibly say that Michonne did know them and they did hold some memory. But, you know, I don't know. Just wanted to put that out there. Great podcast, guys. Keep it up. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Chris. So I think what he's saying is that the zombie pets were perceiving a threat and they were trying to protect Michonne to a certain degree. Right. Because there was a connection to her. Um, 
I read that scene more as, you know, they'd given up on trying to hunt Michonne, but other living things were still enticing for them and they were getting excited about the smell or the the sight of, you know, other people that they could eat. That's tough. Yeah, because Andrea was there and she wasn't, she didn't know them before they were zombies. No, but she, at this point she'd been with them for eight or nine months. So the whole being familiar with them. Well, yeah, that's what I'm thinking is that, uh, I think that's the familiarity rather than the, the inherent memory residue that, uh, that was causing them to, you know, give up on their, uh, you know, their hunting instinct or their eating instinct. But when they smelled somebody new. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's a new target or it's a new food source that they uh that they hadn't seen before yeah so i don't know the whole residual memory thing I, we're probably never going to get a straight answer here or there but it does seem like at some certain times there is real base mu- m- as you've described it muscle memory type right recollection memory 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 yeah <laughs> um but at other times it seems like there's nothing so uh, and, and, you know, maybe it has to be stronger. That's why Milton's experiment failed, because he he was doing that, what, did he say a couple of dozen times? Maybe it has to be much stronger and innate than that. Right. Like um, Morgan's wife, you know, coming to the house, something like that. Right. So it's really hard to say. Well, the thing is with Morgan's wife is that uh, that's not their house, right? Yeah, that's the other problem. So, that, that was where they were holed up just for a short time before the, or during the outbreak. So I don't know. I mean, if that was their house where they'd lived for 20 years, I could be on board with it a little bit more. Right. Uh, all righty. So Nikki from upstate New York, a uh, regular listener, I'm going to play two calls from her. The first one. At the same time or uh, in serial? Uh, in, um, consecutively. Consecutive. Okay. Good. With a small break in between. All right. Here is the first one. She has something to say directly to you, I believe. To me. Yeah. It's probably a correction. Not really. Oh, okay. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Nikki from upstate New York. I wanted to throw my two cents into uh, Jason's inquisiting of what is in Red Pants' pocket. So I'm going to go with, because I am a smoker, and it's about the size of a cigarette pack, but I'm pretty sure it's a pack of cigarettes. (laughs) And I'm also going off of this because in Killer Within, there's a maybe like second and a half scene of Merle and Red Pants walking by, and Red Pants mentions something about smokes, and Merle tells him not to get too cocky. So I guess that's my two cents on what uh, is in Red Pants' pocket. And I just wanted to add that Andrea is a trifling hoe. Thanks, guys. (laughs) (laughs) She just finishes on a different note there, but uh, pack of cigarettes. Okay, so uh, a couple things about that. One, pack of cigarettes makes a lot more sense than an iPhone. <laughs> or some of the other things I think you came up with, but yeah. yeah. Okay, so pack of smokes makes sense, but uh, now is that the size and shape of an American pack of cigarettes? I know that it's sort of uh, like I know Canadian cigarettes come in that kind of shape, but I thought American cigarettes came in kind of soft packs what? that were a different shape. I I'm not a smoker. I've never bought cigarettes in Canada or the U.S., so I couldn't tell you. But anyway. I don't they all come in small sort of deck of cards shaped cardboard boxes? No. Not no? in the States. Not in the, in the States they come in soft packs. Really? Like, kind of foil soft packs and you know where you tap on them and the one cigarette points its nose out and you grab it and... I thought people did that it. with the, the boxes we have too. No, no. They just open up like... 
Oh. Yeah. Anyway, but I could be I could be completely wrong. I mean, I've only know I only know uh, very little of American cigarettes, and frankly, I haven't bought the Canadian pack of cigarettes in uh, going on six years now. Yeah, you quit smoking a long time ago, but. Uh, you know, I don't know. It, Pack of Smokes makes sense. It sure Let's does. Let's just say that. <laughs> it sure does. Are you going to rename him Red Pants Pack of Smokes now? No, I, we never saw what was in his pocket, so it, he's long gone, but uh, what's he got in his pocket? Yeah. Here's, we'll never know. Here's Nikki's second call. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Nikki from upstate New York again. I wanted to call you guys because something's been bothering me. Since the episode that the governor told Andrea that uh, it's just him and his daughter now, she's been sleeping with him and yet never questioned where his daughter was. I kind of find that a little baffling. I mean, he did say, it's just me and my daughter. And if if, if it was me, I would have been like, so where's your daughter? <laughs> I just wanted to know what you guys thought about that. And uh, I look forward to listening to the next podcast. Bye. Um. Excellent, excellent point. Very good question. You you sit there and you say to someone, uh, you know, I was married. She died in a car accident before all this happened. It's just me and my daughter now. And you proceed to have a relationship with this person, and you never think to ask, where is she? Yeah. Why isn't she here? Like, is it, What do you mean, it's just you and your daughter now? Yeah, exactly. Why, why, you know, I, you'd think I'd have met her by now. I mean, you know, it's like... it. That absolutely makes no sense, and well, I can't think of anything to explain it. So much happens off camera. Like, they're able to get into places, <laughs> they're able to get out of places, they p- capture people, they do things that are, uh, maybe it just came up at, off camera. But that's BS, because... Oh, she's dead. Everything happens, like, you know, when you watch a TV show, you see what? A fraction of 1% of the actual real lifetime that these people would have, you know? yeah. Uh, and you see the important bits to tell a story. And, you know, it's admittedly insane to start arguing about things like this as if these were real people or real events that were happening in, in the world. That's true. They are not. <clears throat> but we can only judge a show based on what they show us and tell us. And when you have a line like, it's just me and my daughter now, and then the daughter turns up to be dead and Andrea's all surprised... You know, it it really strikes me as odd that she wouldn't be like, you know, where is she? And then, the you know, the governor would have to make up some sort of excuse. But that's the kind of thing the audience sort of would like to see, I think. Right. You know? And it, it weakens the whole thing when you come up with these inconsistencies. Now, do we just pay too much attention? Probably. Well, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. But, you know, I, we're not the only people, I don't think, that are... Uh, following it this closely so i don't know maybe the daughter is uh maybe maybe she's older and she's out you know doing other things around woodbury she has her own apartment i don't know (laughs) these sorts of things need to be need to be answered yes but they aren't they are not uh eric from fredericton gave us a call fredericton new brunswick and he had this to say Hey, Chris, Jason. My name is uh, Eric Dulling from uh, Fredericton, uh, New Brunswick. Uh, the reason I'm calling is in regards to the uh, last episode of uh, Walking Dead. It just seems like The Walking Dead, uh, just like their token black guy, uh, as soon as there's a second character showing up, they, that is of a, a black a color, they uh, have to kill him so that the next guy shows up. It started with T-Dog, and then when he died, Oscar showed up, and then now Oscar gets 
kill, and then uh, all of a sudden we get the uh, the guy from the uh, from the book. Uh, what's his name again? Uh, you can do it, uh, Tyrese. Tyrese coming is showing up from the uh, comic book. So it just looks like like uh, they have to pass from one guy to another. Uh, it just made me laugh. Uh, great show, uh, great TV show, and great uh, podcast, guys. Continue what you're doing. Bye. Thank you, Eric. It does sort of feel like that, and uh, you know they 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 just move from one black character to another, yep. and they just keep killing them off. I don't know. Hopefully that's a pattern that won't continue. Hopefully not. Now, to be fair, lots of other people have died on the show too, and uh, I don't know, it's just a little odd that they introduce a new one right as the old one gets killed. That's true. So uh, I have a feeling Tyrese is going to stick around for a while. I sure hope so. I hope so too. We never know, and I think I said last week, every time I think I've got something figured out on this show, they do the opposite, or they completely throw me off. So Pretty much. Um, we will see. Chris from Chicago writes in. He says, just wanted to mention that it seems like the show's content has been drifting closer and closer to what we see in the comics. Last season's major points seem to diverge significantly from the book, and even the beginning of this season had some big differences, particularly with the governor. But as we've moved further and further into the season, the developments have become more recognizable. The governor now has his eye patch and is more obviously villainous. Tyrese has made an appearance. Michonne is now working with the group, uh, more or less, and Rick has his moment with the telephone conversations with the dead. So... I know I'm springing this on you, but do you feel like the show is diverging a little closer to the comic than it had been leading up to this point? Absolutely. In this season, for sure. I think so, too. And I hadn't really, you know, put much thought into it uh, for a while because, you know, a long time ago we decided that it's you can't really compare the two. They are their own beasts, and uh, one isn't going to necessarily line up with the other. Nope. But you can always look for the bits and pieces that they pull, right, from the from the comic and the similarities. And I do think, as Chris says, there are more lately than we've had maybe in season two and or, or at any point during during the run so far. Right. Is that a good thing? Sure. Well, why not? I mean, it's, it's... It's nice to see things from the comic in the show. It's familiar, absolutely. Um, but I don't know if it's good or bad. It just is. You know, if they, they need to choose the right things from the comic, um, not just do it so that we can sit there going, oh, I know what that is, or, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Similarities so. uh, makes you feel comfortable and happy that you're seeing things live and in action that you've seen in the comic book. But differences, differences uh, keeps you on your toes and on the edge of your seat. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and this is seems to be clearly a Glenn Mazzara thing, and uh, as since he took over from Frank Darabont. Right. Frank Darabont was all about, you know, if I could speculate, is all about sort of using the comic as as, uh, as an influence, but telling his own story almost. Whereas Glenn Mazzara is a little bit more about telling the story from the comic just in a, in a new medium. Right. That's the feeling I get. Jason from the internet writes about whether Daryl uh, is going to survive or not now that Tyrese is on the scene. Right. And he says, Daryl is safe on that show, I'm sure, at least until the video game he will star in comes out. Period. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I think that's a very good point. Yeah. They're not going to kill off Daryl or Merle, probably, until that game is out and sold its X number of millions of copies. 
and that character then can be put out to pasture. Yeah, I thought that, that you know, like I think that might have might have occurred to me off the air. I was thinking, yeah, they can't do that until the game's out. Right. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, kill, they kill him now. The game comes out eight months from now. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna guess right now that 2013 means fall 2013. I don't know. Games it's a nice summer game. It, it maybe, but yeah, I don't know. Why not? Leave it till the fall, you know, co-market with the launch of season four of the show. True, 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 All those kind of things. Um, You know, what are we, how many months until then? Almost 12 months, 10 months. 78 months. We can get up to one, maybe coincide with issue 115 of the comic or something like that. Right. 120 if we're lucky. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I'd be surprised if, uh, if, if we see it before then. Anyways... I'm pretty sure Jason has a point that they aren't going to kill off Daryl before that game comes out. Right. Otto from the internet sent in a bunch of points about the show, and I decided to choose this one. (laughs) (laughs) He writes, I'm distracted by Rick's hairline. Seriously. (laughs) It's it's been several seasons, and I'm still distracted by it. I know an artificial hairline when I see it. I googled him, and I'm definitely right. He used to have less hair. So how much is real hair? Does he wear a piece? Did he have hair replacement, or do you just add a little on top in the makeup department? I need to know. Then comes David Morrissey. More weird hair. I googled him, too. Some of those pictures look like they came right out of a hair club for men ad. I'm sure we are all distracted by this, right? What? No one else is? Are you perhaps suggesting I might have some issues of my own that I'm projecting on these guys? (laughs) Well, I'll have you know. Well, okay, you may be right. Right. Now, in a little bit more seriousness, Otto goes on to say, uh, to give us a prediction. He says, I predict, my prediction is that Merle will join Rick's group. A hallmark of this show is always that there must be a, must be division and strife within the group. Right now, they don't have that. Merle will join the group and take up that position. Oh, that's a good point. So this is the opposite kind of what we were thinking before, where Merle would become a spy. Not quite the opposite. Maybe, Maybe it's both. Maybe it's both. That's what I was trying to say, yeah. Damn it, I cut you off. I'm no, that's sorry. fine. That's fine. He'll be a spy and uh, therefore join the group. <laughs> Not bad. And the thing is, he'll, if he, I don't know, if he's not a spy, he'll join the group because the governor turned on him. If he is a spy, it's because the governor's got a scheme. And I think either way, it'll be exciting to watch. Right. Right? Uh, righty. Thank you, Otto, for that. Are you... A, are you um, Worried about uh, Rick or the governor's hairline? Uh, no, I hadn't noticed. No, neither had I. <laughs> so, uh, Otto, you may be the only one. Yeah. I'm just saying. Margaret from Chicago writes, In previous podcast podcasts, you guys have mentioned how sometimes the show uses, quote, cheap scares, such as Shane jumping out at Laurie in the forest in season one. In this season, they seem to be doing a lot of those. The owl in the first episode of this season, and now the possum in last night's episode. She obviously sent this in a few weeks ago. I was really hoping for Daryl and Maggie to encounter some Walker children in the daycare, not just a possum in the closet. What's up with this? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if I've perceived any more sort of jump scares. And, and the ones that are there all involve animals, apparently. It's true. You know? Um I think The Walking Dead has been pretty good for not giving us too many, like, sneak around a corner and something jumps out at you. That's true. I'm trying to think of, uh, I don't recall any. I know there have been some, but I don't recall any. Yeah, and it's possible, you know, 
we were talking about this back in season one, like two years ago. Um, and, and maybe in season one, it felt like a little bit, there was more maybe, or, uh, well, because think about it when, when, uh, Amy got bit, that, right. that walker came out of nowhere and just took a chunk out of her shoulder. True. And that was a bit of a jump scare, but it's not like we had sort of a tense moment happening already and you expect something to happen. Yeah. It's not the cat jumping out of the closet thing. Yeah. At least it was a walker. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it did something. Like, it was uh, well, it was a lurker is what it was. Yeah, that's right. It's one of those sneaky little lurkers. But, uh, I mean, they even had a cat jumping out of a closet in uh, Alien. Sure. Right? They had that crazy jump scare. And, and, you know, cats don't jump out of things and go, Row! Oh, occasionally they do. Not uh, No cat that I've ever known. Cats lie in wait, and then you walk by, and they see your feet, and they pounce at them. They don't jump on your head from inside a closet when you open the door. If the cat, well, I don't know. If if that ever happens, hopefully they get it on video and post it on the internet because yeah. that would be hilarious. I mean, they they lie in wait and attack you. Yes. That's fine, but they always always very quiet about it because they're play hunting. Right. Like, don't scream and go, and do their cat noises. <laughs> That's different. That is very different. Anyway, that Yeah, just that kind of thing where cats jump out of closets and make loud noises and claw at your face really irritates me in movies. Well, you don't want that to happen anyways. We're not going to see many cats in this show, I don't think. And, you know, even if there were more jump scares earlier, I think they've toned it down a little bit. Yep. They've they've moved on from that. So there you go. Um, as for Walker children in the daycare, I'm kind of glad we didn't see that. We've seen a few Walker children on this show, but how disturbing would it be to see actual baby zombies? That might be Ugh. rather disturbing. No, don't do that. I don't want to see that. Luke from the East Coast writes in about Carl and Beth getting together. He says, I do think it would be weird if they started hooking up as in having sex. <laughs> what if they were to take on a relationship similar to Carl and Sophia, which is sort of innocent boyfriend and girlfriend and not taboo apocalyptic lovers? Hey, that sounds like an MTV reality show. <laughs> it does. A little bit. <laughs> taboo apocalyptic lovers. Um, yeah, you know, he's totally right. I don't know why uh, I was so sort of turned off by the thought of them getting together because they can just sort of be sort of innocent, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend type of thing. There's still a seven year age difference there, That's which a is a gap. lot it's when you're gap. 10 and 17. Um, and Carl and Sophia in the comic kind of had this, but they're the same age. Right. And they're 10 and they just sort of walk around holding hands and stuff. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, so still a little strange. If Carl and Beth got together. It would be a little weird. But not totally, you know, outside the realm of acceptability. Uh, no, not in these circumstances. Like I told you, my grandfather was 13 years older than my grandmother. <laughs> yes, you did. And they got married when my grandmother was 13. Yes. And he was 26. Yeah. He waited the minimum amount, amount of time from her birth. That's right. Well, not even the minimum amount of time, in my opinion. <laughs> I just like to say. It was a different time. Absolutely. They lived happily ever after, five kids, and uh, he died at 96, and she died like 10 years all, later when she was 89. All born before she was 20. <laughs> Probably. I, I don't know. I'm I don't just, know I'm, either, but I, just, I wouldn't doubt it. I never did the math on that one. You might not want to. <laughs> uh, it's a different time. Either back in the 20s or whenever that was, uh, 40s? 1912. Really? Yeah, he was born in, oh, no, it was 1926. Okay. 25, because he was born in 1899. So 1920s, zombie apocalypse, might as well be the same thing. Well, yeah, it's a different time. You get married and you have a bunch of kids. That's right. 
Okay. Very good. Uh, finally, in the feedback section of this show, we've got Susan from North Carolina, and she sent this in before the February 10th return was announced, but I thought it was um, relevant to you, mostly. Okay. She says, I'm wondering if the next episode will be in January, which would result in my two favorite shows being on at the same time oh, no. on Sunday nights, The Walking Dead and Downton Abbey. Oh, geez. Season three of Downton Abbey premieres in the U.S. on January 6th. So I wanted to ask if you think there's much overlap in the Downton Abbey viewership and the Walking Dead viewership, or if I'm the only one. And I can sit here and say with quite certainty that you're not the only one. No, Downton Abbey is very popular, especially in my household. So you're a big fan. A huge fan. Of both these shows. Yeah. They're both on at the same time. Now, yeah. it doesn't affect you because you don't watch TV live like a lot of people. I do not. And it's The Walking Dead comes back on February the 10th. Yep. So you do have four or five weeks there of Downton Abbey. But I looked up season three of that show, and there are eight episodes. Yes. So there's going to be about a three-week overlap right? when The Walking Dead comes back. So some people, including uh, Susan, is going to have to make some hard choices about what to watch live, it sounds like. Now, I know they were offering it on iTunes. I don't know if they're actually offering it ahead of time in uh, in the States as opposed to, like, I know they have a, a preview up right now of Downton Abbey Season 3. I don't know if you can pre-buy the season and you have to wait till February or if it's if you can get them now, I'm not sure. You mean because they've they've aired in the UK already? Yeah, they've aired in the UK. <clears throat> right. So you can probably get them in the UK iTunes store, but if they're premiering in the US, a lot of people just, you know, watch it when it's on in, in yeah. their uh area in their area. So you might be able to get them already. Yeah. Or if you're, you know, if you're tricky enough, you might be able to get them, but if not, we're going to have a little bit of an overlap here. So I think there's probably not an, a great deal of overlap in the viewers of these two shows, yeah. but there's got to be some. It, it would be a tough call. You and uh, Downton Abbey is, uh, is a fantastic show. I love that show. Someday I'll watch it. You should. You should watch them all uh, tonight after the podcast. No. Um, I'd have to take the rest of the week off. Do that. Um, yeah. I've, I, my wife's been bugging me to watch it. She really, really wants to, but I just feel like I've had a few people tell me how good it is and if i watch it i'll it's never going to live up to that hype i have that problem sometimes yeah sorry i'm hyping it more yeah and so it's probably detrimental i'm just so. i'm just worried about that watch so it we'll don't see. watch it whatever yeah it's not that good i never said that i just <laughs> you know whatever don't watch it all right well someday i might but uh if you are a fan of both you, you finally might. watched the dexter and you like that yeah but look how it took me seven years to start watching Dexter, almost six and a half years. Yeah, well, you should learn from that, that why wait? Show is good. Watch show. True. True. It's just I didn't have quite the buildup to Dexter. But anyways, Dexter is good, and uh, I quite enjoy it. Good. And I'm sure I'll enjoy Downton Abbey someday, too. Yep. All right. Moving on to this. Holy crap. Did you see that? All right, we got an email from Tyler on the internet and another one from Glenn in Australia. Uh, Glenn in Australia wrote in on Facebook, but here's what Tyler had to say. So this is kind of a random thing I noticed, but when Daryl and Merle are in the pit together, there's a sweeping shot 
from the crowd that basically goes behind and shows the legs of Short Shorts Girl. (laughs) Is this the same short-shorted Olympic archer from guard duty with Andrea? Who knew her legs would make another appearance? Oh, that's nice. And they did. And And I didn't notice. Yeah, I I don't know. You clearly don't recall the scene, but it's there. We focus on a pair of legs wearing short shorts, and we're looking at the action through them in front of in the ring. Right. It's... It's a strange shot. I never even noticed Short Shorts Girl the first time. I noticed her because she had a big bow, but I didn't notice she was wearing short shorts. Yes. You're paying attention to the important things, clearly. Apparently. Uh, anyways, she did. her legs made another appearance in the show. So nice. we've seen her twice now, and uh, maybe we'll see other parts of her in future episodes. Who knows? Yep. Jeff from the internet writes, My holy crap, did you see that moment for this episode was probably when Michonne was almost begging Rick to take her. It's so refreshing to see a strong person such as her have a moment where she needs Rick's group. Right. Michonne has been, um, you know, standoffish, to say the least. To say the least, With about everybody. And, uh, yeah, that's really the first moment where she's kind of shown a little bit of weakness, you know, or, or submissiveness. Right. So there you go. Holy crap. Matt from New Jersey sent three, and this was my favorite. Um, I didn't catch it until my second watch. When the governor accuses Merle of being a traitor, uh, the other guys turn their weapons on him. Um, Schubert, the man who usually has the bow and arrow, has Daryl's crossbow. We find out five seconds later or so that Daryl has been captured, but still, it was a quick shot which prematurely shows you Daryl is caught. Oh, they let the cat out of the bag. Five seconds ahead of time. Yep. I didn't notice that anybody was holding his crossbow, so oh. interesting. But I guess you're going to confiscate his weapon. That's the first thing you do when you capture somebody. Yeah. And why not use it? Yeah. <laughs> against hey, look, his, a crossbow. Against his own brother. Oh, oh the irony. <laughs> <laughs> Chris from Oregon, regarding Andrea's similarity to the governor's wife, She seems to have a striking resemblance to Andrea, and I suspect part of the reason the governor has allowed her to get so close is because he wants his family back. Now that Penny has been skewered, I wonder if he will remain as warm to Andrea now that the facade has been broken. Hmm. Did it ever occur to you that the the woman in the picture is kind of similar to Andrea? It kind of did to me. No. She's blonde. She's... I don't know. I've never been very good at that kind of thing either. Sure. That's a human being. That's a human being. That's about as far as similarities go in my mind. You don't even worry about it too much. No. Well, I, I noticed it, and a few people mentioned uh, mentioned this, but I read Chris's email here because I think it's an interesting take on the whole thing. Like, if if the governor is kind of doing this to rebuild his family in some sick and twisted way, now that his daughter is gone, maybe he doesn't need his wife replacement anymore. Oh, maybe he needs her to get pregnant. (laughs) Boy, that would be something. (laughs) Um, I'm not convinced Andrea is completely done with the governor, despite everything she's seen now. So maybe, you never know. Maybe. Maybe that's what he's going to do. Maybe he'll try and uh, abscond with Beth. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. She's a little uh, older than Penny was, but uh, what the heck. Yeah, close enough, I guess. It's a zombie apocalypse. You got to do what you got to do. Absolutely. Dale from Walkersville, Maryland. Like, that couldn't that couldn't write itself. That's not a coincidence. <laughs> Maybe he made it up. I don't know. I didn't look at I'm it. I'm looking that up. He writes, in the prison, when Carl and Herschel hear the scream, someone says, is that Carol? The response is, no, she's in the guard tower with Axel. 
This is Glenn and Maggie's love nest. What's more, Carol previously gave Axel the brush off when he asked her if she was a lesbian. And that, um, and what will this do to Carol and Daryl's relationship? Oh, man. So Carol's up there with Axel in the love tower, and we know what that means. And now when Daryl comes back, she's going to be all cold on him. It's kind of a bummer, I think. It's a bit of a bummer. <laughs> a bit of a bummer. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit stuffed up today. I don't know why. Nah, you'll be okay. Um, but yeah, good point. I, uh, you know, it sort of occurred to me that they're up there and that's what happens up there, but who knows? Maybe they really were just keeping watch. Yep. I don't know. It could be perfectly innocent. Probably not though. <clears throat> Maybe if he was giving her the advanced class up in the guard tower. Yes. Boy, howdy. <laughs> that's probably what he would say. <laughs> yeah. Finally, Hilario from Brooklyn, New York writes, I noticed Carl's silencer looks like a screwed off chair leg. I know Rick had a modified mag light, and I've seen something similar with a plastic soda bottle in the movie No Country for Old Men. So, holy crap, where did they get the skills and know-how to do this? And holy crap, how didn't they blow their own hands off? That's true. <laughs> I got no concept of how easy or difficult it would be to fashion a silencer out of some other device, like a chair leg or a flashlight. No clue. Um, but it's if TVs taught me anything, it has taught me that it seems like it's pretty easy. Yeah. Because... Uh, if TV's taught me anything, or if this show has taught me anything, people's heads are really soft. Well, that we know for sure, based on this show. And uh, But you can make silencer out of a soda bottle, a chair leg, or a flashlight. Or a pillowcase. Presumably other stuff. Yeah. People use pillowcases all the time in TV. Uh, no, an actual pillow, though, right? Well, yeah, pillow. In a pillowcase. Because you shoot through the pillow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I meant. A pillow. Um, pillowcase full of pillow. Right. But if we see, you know, Rick running around with a gun in one hand and a pillow in the other, it's not it's not going to work. No. It's definitely not going to work. Well, if you got to be quiet, you got to be quiet. Yeah. Well, um, you know, just borrow a borrow some advice from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and take a towel everywhere you go. You could yeah. use that as a silencer too, probably. True. And uh it would probably light on fire when you shot use the gun too much. Just oh. pick up a hammer or use a hammer. Crowbar, axe. Anything. Shovel. Something. That's just not as loud. Okay, Walkersville, Maryland is a real place. It is, eh? Yeah. All right. Um, is, I think it... Okay, well, that was Dale from Walkersville, Maryland. So uh, he has a, a uh, strong connection to the show. I'm trying to find a population. Ooh, 5,000, 5,800 people. That's not that many. That's not a very big place. Anyhow, that is all we've got for this episode. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. So let's remind about next week again. Um, is there anybody in that chat room that we're recording right now? Uh, yeah, we've had uh, we peaked at about uh, sixteen or seventeen people. There's twelve people on right now. There's a few people chatting in the chat room. I responded a couple of times. Did you? Yeah, that, that's exciting. Hey, Mostly they think you're uh, you're very aware of the camera. Really? Yeah, I told uh, them you didn't, were, were probably forgot it was there. No, you know what? I I started looking at it more. Hi everybody. When. Uh, when I when I, after I posted on Facebook that we're doing this, oh, which okay. was halfway through the episode, so before that I didn't um, I didn't pay attention to it at all. But that is neither here nor there. Next week, oh, Lurkersville, Texas. Somebody just uh, announced on the uh, uh, the message board, Lurkersville, Lurkersville, Walkersville, and Lurkersville. That's great. Is that person from Lurkersville or they yeah? Just... Currently uh, live in Lurkersville, Texas. That is extremely cool. Very very cool. I don't live in anywhere as coolly named as that. Toronto. Yeah, exactly. The meeting place, I believe it means. 
Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. So next week, um, Monday, December 17th, 17th at 8 p.m., we are going to start. We will likely be here setting up before then. So if you want to get the real behind-the-scenes experience, yeah, come we'll, early. We'll just let her run, right? Absolutely. We'll turn it on, let her run. Totally. We'll try to have a better camera so you can see both yeah, of us. Yeah, this camera is really crappy. All you can see is my hands. There's Jason's hand. Somebody said it was like... Uh, the Adams family with the extra hand. What was his name? You can see my clock up there. I don't know if you can tell the time and my my screens. Yeah. Um, probably better to have the camera somewhere so that the bright screens aren't affecting the picture. Yeah, but we'll figure that out. We'll figure that, all that out. It's going to be next week. It's episode number 100. 100. Which is absolutely insane. And uh, we'll get the Skype going and we'll try to get people to call in yep. and talk to us live. So if you have something to say or whatever... Um, we'll sort that all out and you can uh, be added on Skype in real time and call in and just chat. And I think it'll just be a big free for all, you know, well, anything goes next week. Yeah. Singing, dancing. For the most part. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not dancing. Maybe not. I might sing. Okay. It it happens. Do some chair dancing if you want. Uh, That won't happen. I just said that. All right. Sing, chair, singing. Uh, okay. So in the meantime, though, let's, let's tell people how they can contact us. The best way is the Zomb line, 1-866-483-ZOMB. That's, uh, 483-9662. We are on Twitter at Talking Dead. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead or email talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. So. It's 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right? We had a couple of questions in the chat room. Eastern uh, Standard Time, because we're no longer in daylight time. Correct. Yes. Okay. Eastern Standard Time. I apologize to anyone who's in Europe or, you know, it's in the middle of the night at that point. Um, But that's the way the the Earth works, I'm afraid. (laughs) Maybe if we do this again, we'll try to do it earlier or on a time when a little bit more of the planet can can tune in. Right. Um, But as you said earlier, you can't really please everybody in that respect. No. We can do it 2 o'clock in the morning and not please me. Yeah, that's right. Why not? Then it would be first thing in the morning over in Europe. So uh, there you go. Uh, All right, everybody, that's going to do it. I hope you do tune in for next week, number 100. And uh, that will be Monday the 17th at 8 p.m., as we said. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.